We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. question that you should be asking is where does he fit best at tackle or at guard it is a much more nuanced conversation than you think full of little technical details and scheme related questions but it is a conversation worth having and no I am not saying that Aquanu cannot play tackle or cannot play guard in fact it's quite the opposite and I think that he would be very good at either spot it's more so just a discussion about which position he should play in certain offenses which is a big difference in topic welcome everybody to another edition of the rock pal report podcast I am your host bill season ticket holder drew gear that's my producer Chris Kruger and that was a little bit of Ikem Ikwanu. I know I just butchered his name. Chris, why don't you... Well, yeah, it's from Brett Coleman. I mean, his versatility to play guard, play tackle, what system's going to be right for him. Somebody we'll talk about with Russ Brown later. He's being touted as one of the the most highly prized prospects in what is kind of a volatile offensive line class. And that's what we're here to talk about tonight. It's our NFL Draft for Dummies 2022. Taking a look at the offensive line with Mr. Russ Brown. Now, I'd be remiss, Chris, before we launch into our football conversation here. Happy Dingus Day. Sure. Nostrovia. Bottoms up, sir. I don't know what that means. Of course I'm, not, because you're uncultured swine. No, I am a cultured swine. I just don't <laughs> celebrate Dingus Day because I'm German. Okay, so, so here's... A, <laughs> that's hilarious. I don't celebrate Dingus Day because I'm German. Yeah. That I the jokes like I have the three stooges effect. I have so many jokes about that trying to get out of my mouth at once. They're all stuck in my head, <clears throat> like all three stooges crammed into a doorway. None of them can get out. Seems God. right. Yeah. Dingus Day is a huge thing here in Buffalo. I'm sure there's dozens, if not hundreds, of our listeners right now out celebrating. Have you ever celebrated a Dingus Day? No. <clears throat> See, I I didn't know, like, I, I guess I didn't appreciate what a big thing it was until I married a girl who was 100% Polish. It's a, it's a thing. It's a whole thing. I, red and the white and the pierogies and the, the dancing and people hitting each other with pussy willows. It's a giant deal. Who was the newscaster who came here to Buffalo the one year? Broadcaster from Central Terminal downtown? I believe... The- Anderson Cooper. Okay, there's that like sounds a th- right. <laughs> there's I know there's a clip online of Anderson Cooper just cracking up because he can't believe there's a thing called pussy willows. Yeah, it's like, dude, have you know ne- <laughs> where have you lived? You've never heard of this before? It's a plant. What's wrong with you? Get your mind out of the gutter, Cooper. Ah, it's I don't understand, Chris. Why is it that our city takes like 
We have a lot of Polish people here. Well, obviously, we also have a lot of Irish, which is why the Buffalo Buffalo here St. Paddy's Day here in Buffalo not only gets celebrated once but twice. Yeah, here and then in uh, Savannah's another city, Savannah, Georgia. There's a huge Irish population down there. And yet, for the size of the Italian, does Italian culture have any holidays? Pol- the Polish obviously have Dingus Day. Irish have St. Paddy's Day. Italians have every Sunday morning. It's called church. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> happy Dingus Day to everybody listening to this at home. Nastrovia. And so that brings us to the offensive line, the crux of why we're here tonight. Bill's current cap allocation, $34.5 million. Percentage of the cap is 16.5, which is 16th highest in the NFL. Have you noticed that the Bills, like this year's roster, seems like the most well-rounded? Like every position group we talk about, we're really not in the top, even though we've spent all kinds of money. That money is evenly dispersed around the roster. We're basically middle of the road at almost every single position group. And the starters on hand, we have six which I think is pretty interesting. And when you look at the makeup of the group from a roster perspective, I'm not going to give every, I'm not going to go through everybody because Jacob Capra, I don't know shit about him. Greg Manns, it's not Manx, it's Manns. That's probably the only thing I know about him. But when you run the offensive line down in terms of starters, you got Deion Dawkins, tenured left tackle. He's, I think he's played better. And I think he's shown that over the course of his career, the the ups and downs in his game almost directly relate to who's playing next to him. Is that a fair thing for me to say? Yeah. When when we've gotten better guard play, he's been a high-end left tackle. When the guard play next to him struggles, he's still better than average. He's not terrible by any stretch. And he's under contract for, we've made a significant investment in him. He is our left tackle both now and in the future, and he's been pretty durable. Yeah, you see guys like Ronnie Stanley, who highly drafted, highly touted. Now he can't stay healthy. Luckily for us, knock on wood, Deion Dawkins has managed to avoid that throughout his career. At left guard, you've got Roger Saffold. Roger Saffold, we broke down during the free agency show. He's incredibly athletic. And while he's not known for being a premier pass protector, his production in the run is interesting. Yeah, he he's coming in here, essentially getting the band back together with uh, Aaron Cromer. The hope is is that he can improve in both facets of his game while still giving the, them a high-end starting option next to him to kind of steady Deion Dawkins. Because last year, with all the fluctuation going on next to him, obviously Dawkins struggled. You want to have a durable... Uh, well, Saffold hasn't been the most durable player, but you want to have a guy who has a high full, proven floor of production and I think Saffold might be the, Chris, is it fair to say this, the most accomplished left guard we've had since we lost uh, Richie Incognito? Yes. Okay. Then you've got our center, Mitch Morse. Josh Allen's favorite uh, center, the only one he's really known when he's been successful in the NFL. He's durable. He wasn't, remember when that was the knock on him? Was that, oh, his concussions, and oh my God, what are we going to do? Do you remember what? Brett said last week, wait, you guys have one of the best training facilities? Mm-hmm. Oh. I wonder if that is a uh, reason why Mitch Morse has been uh, relatively healthy. He's stayed healthy, He's been he's and he's been reliable. I know people like to throw shade at him because he's not this mauling road grader of a player, but that's not who he's supposed to be. He's a, kind of an instinctive, heady offensive center who does a good job not getting out-muscled. He doesn't get blown up. And at the same time, he's got enough athleticism to navigate the pocket. I remember seeing a play, I think it was against the Falcons last year, where he actually blocked his man to help and then moved out to go help Deion Dawkins on the edge so that a guy didn't get Josh Allen from behind. You need that kind of intelligence out of a center like that. And luckily for us, we have it. Next to him is probably where the only com- actual competition comes in this offseason uh, between Ryan Bates and Ike Bakker. Now, Bucker has starting experience in this offense. He's a good pass protector. He doesn't bring a ton in the running game. Ryan Bates is a far better athlete, 
at the same time, his sample size of actual high-end production in the NFL or good production is really small. He's only got six games. But those six games, you saw a little bit of a transformation in our offense in terms of the types of plays they were able to call. So, and I like the fact that they brought Bucker back as an insurance policy for that. And then you got Spencer Brown, who, well, and Tommy Doyle. First of all, Doyle only took one snap at left tackle. One. Was it for a kneel down? No, it was on a play where Deion Dawkins' helmet came off and he had to leave the field. Oh. And on that play, Brian Dable dialed up a deep pass on third down against the Jets, and Tommy Doyle immediately gave up a sack to Shaq Lawson. Immediately let Shaq Lawson beat him for a sack of Josh Allen. And I remember the cameras trained on Josh Allen. Like, I thought, I think, I think, Chris, maybe you know more about this than me. When it comes to production of a game like that, you're trying, right? For the viewers at home, you're trying to capture the emotion in the players' faces. Yeah. When things happen. But it's probably not a good idea to stick a camera in the face of a guy who just got sacked. Because he's walking back to the sideline with his helmet off and looks at somebody and just goes, what the fuck was that? And they just immediately cut away, but it was too late. I lip read that. (laughs) Yeah, you want to have get a single shot on that quarterback all the time. And probably the Doyle, too. Mm. See if you could get a, god damn it, I fucked up. Maybe just one single tear. Slowly yeah. rolling down his face. Spencer Brown is our starting right tackle. Savage. La- he, he's Absolute <laughs> savage. Going into this season, he's probably one of the most intriguing prospects come training camp for me on this offensive line because I want to see how much better he got. He's he, That Chiefs game was not kind to him. He had a rough time. And we noticed that over the course of last year, well, he, he was an upgrade for our offensive line. He, when we played teams with high-end talent, a defensive end or rush linebacker, there were times he got a shit handed to him. <laughs> it, it did happen. So with that in mind, I, I want to see just how much better Spencer Brown is now that he's a year in the league. He's going to have a full offseason just to focus on honing his craft instead of the, thinking about the draft process. To kind of fix his, because for him, it's all mechanical. He's got the elite athleticism. He's got the size. He's got everything you would want in a dominant tackle. Hopefully, better coaching also helps with that. Philosophically, when you take this group and you head into the draft, the Bills for the fifth consecutive season under head coach Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean will be entering a football season with at least two new starters penciled in at new positions. Let that sink in for a second. Every single year they've been here, continuity in the offensive line hasn't been something that the Buffalo Bills have prioritized. And at the same time, when you look at the way the team has gone about that lack of continuity, almost no one, none of these new faces they brought in has come from the NFL draft. In four years as GM, 2021 was the first time our GM even paid the offensive line much attention. In 2018, you took Wyatt Teller in the fifth round. 2019, he traded up to get Cody Ford in the second round, took zero offensive linemen in 2020, and in 2021, he took a third-round pick, a fifth-round pick, and a seventh-round pick at offensive line. When you look at them in totality, you see that Wyatt Teller was the only guard. Every other one of these players was an offensive tackle in college and projected that way into the pros. And they were all originally slated to play offensive tackle for the Bills. The interior offensive line has gotten no love in the draft from this coach, from this scouting department, from our GM. To me, that seems to back up the quote the Buffalo News obtained from Brandon Bean right before the 2019 offseason. He was asked about the need to improve the offensive line in front of Josh Allen ahead of his sophomore season and acknowledged that the status quo would have to change, but also threw in an anecdote about how he preferred obtaining players with a proven track record of being able to play offensive line in the NFL. He said, I think it's important. Yeah, and they they kind of proven that, haven't they? Mm-hmm. Brian Winters, John Feliciano, uh, Spencer Long. Spencer Long was one of the first free agents they signed the year that they signed him, and he didn't even play. They went out and have made sure up to this point that they just churned veteran players as depth on this team heading into training camp. Brandon Bean treats the interior offensive line the same way the Rams treat their entire roster. 
<laughs> we don't picks. need picks. We need experience at every position. Well, and if, I, when you think about how important protecting any quarterback, much less a quarterback with the dynamic arm tail of Josh Allen from A and G, B gap pressure, I think it's telling that B and McDermott haven't been keen on trusting that job to rookies. So that's a dynamic you need to keep in mind as we continue with this podcast. Entering 2022, the Bills have five starters and a former starter on the roster, including Allen's favorite center and three guards who all started games last season, two of whom the Bills have made significant financial commitments to that indicate they're going to be in the running for significant playing time. They also have experienced depth in the form of Greg Manns and sophomore Tommy Doyle. The odds that a rookie could step in, you know, some a, a fourth round, fifth round, sixth round pick could step in and really push them for playing time. I, I think it's pretty slim when you consider that they philosophically don't like guys learning on the job. Look at Bates. It took Bates years to get significant snaps, and even that took both injury and an effectiveness to literally everyone ahead of him on the on the depth chart. We, Cody Ford had to suck. Eichbacher had to get hurt. Uh, John Feliciano had to get hurt. Finally, it was Ryan Bates' time. <laughs> we traded Eli Harold to the Eagles for him, right? Yes. I think I'm pretty sure you had to do with Seagram's. I did. Cause I was pissed about it. Yeah, with Nate Geary. Nate Geary laid the bet on you. But when you take a look ahead from this season into 2023, the Bills are only going to have two interior offensive line players under contract. Mitch Morse and the aforementioned Ryan Bates. There are no depth players on the interior offensive line returning whatsoever. No starting left guard. Just those two dudes. Meanwhile, the 2022 Bills offensive line group will represent the most athletic offensive line in terms of overall RAS scores the Bills have assembled in my adult life. And you saw bits and pieces of that, Chris, down the stretch last year, how that improved athleticism just from adding one dynamic player. Improved our offensive line's ability both to play the run and the pass. It let them run more zone concepts in the running game. And all of a sudden, you saw Devin Singletary producing more consistently. Uh, it let them run a screen game. For the first time all season, they had a screen game because they had offensive linemen who they could trust to get downfield. I, I, I just think that the way that that can, opened up the playbook kind of gave them the idea of, hey, we need more of this athleticism shit on our offensive line. The problem is going to be that going into 2023, players with that level of athleticism don't hit the market every year, and they don't come cheap. Hey, we're playing Saffold, what, I think it was either six or eight million? Why don't you go I think away? it's eight. Eight? Okay, so eight million dollars, potentially, allegedly, is what's wrapped up in Roger Saffold's contract. And I, I don't know. Next year, we're not going to have eight million dollars laying around to go get another one-hit wonder an offensive guard. That's not going to be a thing that we can afford to do. We're going to have a lot bigger fish to fry than trying to find money in the couch cushions for yet another free agent signing an offensive guard. That's where this draft presents the Bills with an opportunity. The team could conceivably draft players, centers and guards, and get them into the systems so that they can learn the trade while not having to be pressed into action anytime soon. Kind of like what they're doing with Tommy Doyle. That would give us a leg up on our roster building heading into 2023, where the team is going to have a lot of decisions to make, while also providing us some additional depth for 2022 and allowing us to do some things situationally that previously we didn't have the horses to do. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
in that way, this class is incredibly interesting. So as he always does, joining us tonight to talk about offensive linemen in the 2022 NFL Draft, Mr. Russ Brown of Cover One and Woodward Sports. How are you, sir? I am doing well. How are you guys? Not too bad. So we know all about your work over at Cover One. Why don't you tell us a little bit about this new venture you're involved in? Because this is interesting. Yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, we talked a little bit about it before the show. But yeah, for the listeners, um, Woodward Sports is a local Detroit sports media company that specializes in digital media and uh, which basically includes podcasts, video, radio, things like that. And um, I've, I've interacted with them quite a bit over the last year and a half of, of them being around. And, and between all social media platforms, I mean, I think they've averaged, if I remember correctly, I want to say it was like, it was well over 5 million views uh, total in all of their social media platform. I, I want to say it was close to 10, if I remember correctly. So um, here in, in Detroit, it's, it's, it's boomed quite a bit for them. They've got a really nice studio, um, you know, about 40 minutes away, um, you know, a few miles north of Detroit and the, the, the downtown area and stuff like that. So um, long story short out of it, I've done a couple shows with them. They reached out to me and they basically said, hey, we'd love to have you part of our, our thing, uh, doing the draft and all this stuff. So one thing led to another and they gave me a, a draft show podcast. And then uh, last week they or not last week, but when it all started, they were like, you know, the draft is going to be live on a Thursday night. We'd love to have you on and, and give your analysis. So I'll be doing a live draft show for them next Thursday. And, you know, talking Detroit sports, talking the draft. I mean, it's been the dream since shit, since I can remember. So <laughs> the fact that uh, the the fact that I'm, you know, getting a little bit closer every day, it's uh, it's pretty humbling, but it's pretty damn cool. And then if that wasn't cool enough in its own right, you've released another one of your draft guides. I, it's, I, I thought your last one was pretty good. I liked it because it's consumable. Like, this is the thing. I Some people make these things out to be like, and I get it. If you want in-depth, if you're a, some of these people out here are draft heads, amateur draft heads, and they yeah. say, hey, I want to I see web diagrams, and I want to see comps, and I want to see all this stuff. But you can easily turn what a molehill into a mountain when in reality somewhere in between is probably where you want to be. I liked your last draft guide. You've done it again. Now, what have, what have, did you learn in the last, through the last process of producing one that you used this time to maybe tweak your process a little bit? Yeah, well, before it was um, a little bit of like a smaller version, and I always like tried to keep it simple and, and somewhat detailed, but the simplified form was very hard to manage because I'm a very detailed person when it comes into football. I start rambling about different types of coverages a player does or different types of blocking and, and throws and, and everything that there is to break down a specific player or position. And it just ended up getting to be a little bit too much with not enough kind of space to get that information in. So I was like, let me change this and let me make it a little bit easier for myself. And that's what I ended up doing. I ended up changing um, just the overall format. I made it more of like a word document and um, I created the graphics all myself, like I've done in the past. And obviously I, I use film and migrating process all myself. And I just, you know, basically put it all together and, you know, the 125 players that are in detailed format are there. And then, um, you know, back in November, I had COVID, um, which helped me get through some of the offensive linemen that we're going to talk about, but it also kind of put me behind the eight ball because, you know, I do have a nine to five job and, <laughs> you know, I had to come, I had to come back and I had to take care of all that stuff, but I also have got a kid that's in travel baseball in football and just like life is kind of a thing. So getting to, you know, 175 players, which I initially had put, you know, the goal for myself, the fact that I didn't get there's a little disappointing. I did get to close to that number, but not in the detailed format. But a lot of it was just because of some of the hoops and, and yeah. the ladders and the hurdles that you got to get through in life to make it happen. But, so but that's still um, incredible, dude. Don't sell yourself short. That's a gigantic undertaking. Where can our listeners go to find this, just this masterpiece that you put together? Yeah, so it's at cover1.net. Um, it's free to download. If you go to Twitter, it's pinned on my profile at Russ NFL Draft. Either, either way, you can find it. Um, 
it's again, it's free. If you want to donate money, don't donate it to me. Don't ask me for my Venmo or PayPal. People do it all the time. They're like, hey, what's your PayPal? I want to send you five bucks for the guide. I send them three charities. I'm like, go to one of these sites, pick which one, whatever one warms your heart the best and give them the money. Give it to the people that are in need, whether it's wounded warriors, kids with cancer, whatever it is, give it to the people that really need it. Don't give it to me. Just give it to, to the people in need. So it's it's free to download uh, on CoverOne.net. You should be able to download the PDF and save it. And you can have it on, on all three days of the draft. Dude, I love it. I love you. Let's talk about offensive <laughs> line because I love this year's crop for maybe all the wrong reasons. Um, <laughs> first of all, offensive tackles. They get all the love when draft season rolls around. But the Bills don't have any needs there, right? So I'm kind of more interested in this conversation. Obviously, I want to know the makeup of the class, but I also I want to look at the interior of the offensive line. They don't get nearly the amount of attention this time of year, you know, draft season. <laughs> Analysts like yourself obviously know who a lot of these people are, and you can tell their skill sets and what what teams might need them more and where they might fit. The average Joe, Chris and I, a lot of our listeners, and NFL GMs, I, <laughs> I feel like none of us are sold on the interior offensive line, and I don't know why. Uh, Chris, in the notes here, I've got a chart for you. What is that? This one, the bust rates among first-round picks. 10-year sample. So it's a 10-year sample of bust rates from every position group in the draft. Leading the way is running back at 40%, which means basically almost one out of two aren't good, or at least close to that. (laughs) Um, Then you go down the, you know, you kind of fall down the rabbit hole of defensive linemen, wide receivers. We all know wide receivers are kind of a dice roll, and a lot of it's scheme dependent to who your quarterback is. But at the very bottom of this chart, now, mind you, in 10 years, there's only been 14 of them. But guards and centers. Guards and centers, 0% bust rate in the first round. How recent is this? Is This uh... This was produced this year. Okay, so we know one of those tackles is Cody Ford. Because <laughs> so it says two. Ta- yeah, the offensive tackles came above them. 33 <clears throat> were drafted in the first round. Only two were considered busts, which is 6%. So offensive linemen are basically, like when you think about what the draft is and what a crapshoot banking on NCAA talent making the jump to the NFL, offensive line is a fairly safe bet. And yet, Mm -hmm. so few teams do it. 33 offensive tackles, 8 guards, and 6 centers compared to 40 wide receivers, 73 defensive linemen, all who busted a 1 out of 3 or like one out of two point nine percent rate. Like what? Well, what do you? Why don't more teams invest in the line early, over and over again? Like why? Why isn't this a thing? Well, I think it is. I just I think it's it varies because of how. And again, I don't have that article up in front of me, so I can't really justify and say. Yeah, you know, bus is a relative. It's, it's a bus is kind of a I don't want to say a relative term, but it is. It's kind of, it's hard to define, but it's interesting that yeah, it was from ProFootballReference.com. Yeah, and I and I got you, but it's um it, it's one of those things where I think like if if uh, if I label let's say for example in this year's class Braxton Jones from Southern Utah. I label him as an offensive tackle just because I have him as an offensive tackle. The night he gets drafted, probably somewhere in the fourth, fifth, or sixth round, he might be listed as an interior offensive lineman because that's what the team labels him as as they draft him. I think that's the difference because I ran an uh, article back in, I want to say December, maybe November, over at CoverOne.net talking about the offensive tackles in this draft. And if I remember correctly, the numbers on the offensive tackles over the last five years, we see an average of, I want to say it's right around 23 offensive tackles selected in the NFL draft. Now, obviously, it's not as many wide receivers, but when you put the, the, the two numbers together, mm-hmm. offensive tackle and interior offensive lineman, it's a fairly big number. Because right? I think if I remember what you said, interior offensive lineman, this is what we're talking about, right? Yeah. From the bust rate. Yeah. So, so, so what that number is plus the offensive tackles, whatever we can figure out what that bust rate is, regardless, the total number of prospects for offensive linemen is relatively close, if not maybe a, a, a hair larger, a touch bigger than the wide receiver number. So, I, I, I can see it from that perspective, but from from how we're kind of asking the question of why teams don't invest in much 
of offensive line help. I think it's because the sexy pick is the wide receiver. The sexy pick is the running back. The players that and it's 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 something as I, I was working out today and I was thinking about what the question might be next Thursday when I do a live draft show from the Brass Rail in downtown Detroit across from Comerica Park for the first time live and in person, what people are going to say to me or ask me when if the Detroit Lions select Malik Willis at two, why are they going that route and not maybe this safe defensive end? And I think it's the the thought process of, well, sometimes you know you take this sexy pick because you the average fan looks at the sack total, the sack production, or the touchdown catches, or the receptions and the yardage. They don't look at you know if a third or fourth round interior offensive lineman and go, well, this guy had a hundred knockdowns this past year, or he started 16 games. They don't care about that stuff. They only care about it when their quarterback, Josh Allen is running around in a circle and getting potentially sacked or, or whatever it is. That's when they care about it. (laughs) But other than that, they don't give, they don't care because that doesn't impact their fantasy team. And it doesn't, those aren't the plays that make the biggest impact on the game to the average fan. So I think that's why it is, but I, I it's hard if, if I I would need to read the article to really sure. justify it because I would also like to run those numbers on the offensive tackles over the last five years. What's the bust rate of that? And also, mm-hmm. what are we defining as a bust? Like you mentioned, it is kind of a thin line. It's hard to define what it is. Is it is it a year? Is it two years? Do they make it out of a rookie deal and bust somewhere? Can we call else? it a Cody Part- Ford size? Uh, Cody Ford size line. <laughs> Because I'll tell you what, that guy, if there's like, that's what we think about. I think when we think about busts is an offensive lineman yeah. who has the size, seemingly has the athleticism, the speed. He has everything. And yet when you put him on a football field, he just looks awkward. He allows the defenders who play against him to look better than they should. And it's like, OK, to me, that's a bust. To me, that's a guy who I yeah. cannot put on the football field. Especially when you're being upstaged by guys who were seventh round draft picks and guys who were undrafted free agent types that the Bills have traded for. It's like, okay, you don't belong here. And maybe you don't belong in the NFL. To me, that's how I would quantify a bust. But so, so it's just interesting to me that that's been a dynamic that's kind of plagued this. And to your point, I think a lot of what feeds into it, and maybe even for some football teams, is they're looking for the sexy thing you know it's it's the argument last year at the top of the draft everyone goes the Bengals would be crazy not to take penny suell they'd be crazy not to take suell to protect joe burrow after his acl injury taking jamar chase would be reckless it would be a detriment to the quarterback now mind you it's i'll say this jamar chase sets the world on fire he i would say that his inclusion in that wide receiver group gets them to a super bowl at the same time, you go into a Super Bowl and you watch your quarterback get just manhandled behind the line of scrimmage for the entire <laughs> game. And then you take a look at that postseason and go, you know, he got sacked at least four times, five times in every single game. At that point, yeah. what are we talking about? It, it's a fine line. It's what do you want? Everyone gets excited and even GMs can fall into this trap of I want the sexy thing that puts points on the board, not necessarily the backbone that I need to support that kind of production. Because that's not sexy. That's not going to help me keep my job if this doesn't go well. So it makes Mm -hmm. sense. Now, I have a question for you in terms of the overall just offensive line acclimation to the NFL. Rookies seem to be coming in for the offensive line. And I think this plays into kind of the low bust rate, quote unquote, for them. Is that there's rookies who are coming in and acclimating pretty quickly. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, for every Cody Ford who just can't make the jump... Um, Look at the Chiefs. The Chiefs run a very complicated offensive approach. They made the AFC title game with a rookie center and a rookie right guard, and those guys were dominant in their rookie seasons. And then you start looking at some of the other players who came out in last year's draft, and you say, okay, they played well. And then you go back another year, and you say, okay, there's a lot of good offensive linemen coming out of that class too. Do you think that the NFL has acclimated more to Getting these, have they changed how they've operated to make these make it a little bit easier transition for these guys, or is the NCAA doing something differently to prepare these guys for the NFL? I, I man, there's so many different ways I can answer this question. I think I think it's a mixture of both on on what you're asking, but also I think it is truly 
right player, right scheme, right fit, but also it's the the NFL tends to overlook and put weird values on certain positions. Like we mentioned, not taking the offensive tackle because you wanted the sexy pick and receiver, but now now, like the excuse this year is you can't take Zion Johnson or Tyler Linderbaum in the top 10 because they're not Quentin Nelson and because their positional value is interior offensive line. And that just doesn't hold the same weight as an edge rusher, a receiver, a corner. And I think that's where we look at it and go, OK, well, Tyler, like, for example, Tyler Linderbaum might drop out of the top 10 and he could very well go all the way to, let's say, I don't know. Um, let, let's say, just hypothetically speaking, because we're talking bills, let's say 21 to the Patriots, just for the, the mm-hmm. sake of, of the conversation. He goes to 21, and everybody goes, well, why did this guy get passed up by 10 different teams? He should have easily went 10 or 11. And I think I think that's the peop- the NFL tends to overlook because of the positional value. So we instantly go, well, this guy's a steal. This guy should not have fallen. Like Creed Humphrey, like you mentioned to the Chiefs, should not have been a second-round pick, not as late as he was. Why he was, I don't know. I think it's partially maybe he wasn't a good scheme fit for certain teams, or maybe they over they undervalued him because of his overall size. Whatever it might be, teams do weird things. But I do think the NCAA and the Senior Bowl and these college all-star games are great events to get these players prepared. But also you see things like the athletic testing numbers that we're starting to see from some of these players. Yep. To see, just to flip side it, interior defensive lineman, Jordan Davis, Georgia, 6'6", 341, runs a 4.7840. That's unheard of. I mean, you just, you don't see that from a player that size. So I think it's the preparation work that the NCAA, their agents, and, and the teams to get them ready through combines, pro days, and okay. all of this offseason work, I think is making a big deal for the big uglies, for the bigger players on the field. Okay. Well, that makes sense. And before we jump into Bill's specific questions, philosophically, just something I've noticed over the last few years of drafts. Every year, it seems like there's about nine offensive linemen taken in the top 60. That seems to be the way it shakes out year over year. 2019 for interior offensive line, five tackles. 2027 tackles, two interior offensive line. Uh, 2021, there was 15 taken. Now, maybe some of this plays to your point. The big uglies are getting more attention and they're getting more developed, which means you need some of your own big uglies to counter what people in your division might be doing. You need to keep up with the Joneses. Uh, but when you look at where they're coming from, 2019, all but one of those nine players, major power five schools. 2020, those nine, all but one of them was from came from major Power Five schools. Last year, 15, all but one of them from major Power Five schools. But when I look at this year's draft class, this is a crapshoot. When you look at, I'm seeing Tulsa, Chattanooga, UTSA, <laughs> San Jose State, a lot of not as many of the blue blood universities. Mm-hmm. Yet these offensive line prospects who are crowding the top 60 seem to be from from these smaller schools. Has interior offensive line scouting and offensive line scouting as a whole changed? Or is that something of indictment about the talent available in this year's offensive line class as a whole? I think it's more so about the talent level that's available. Also, we have to play the part or, or put in consideration of the COVID year, which I mean, I hate talking about COVID and all that stuff, but you, you throw in the COVID year and guys that maybe would have came out last year, had another year of eligibility. And I, I think even some of the guys that maybe came back for another year, you know, they're using that extra year of eligibility to maybe put themselves in that first round, second round conversation, locked conversation. So I think that's what it boils down to. But also I just, I think it's just somewhat of the class. I think when you look at the top, you know, you look at Zion Johnson and Tyler Lindenbaum, Iowa, Boston College, you're talking some blue bloods there. You're talking Evan Neal, Alabama, right? So some of the guys at the top, they're coming from those true powerhouse D1 programs. But like you mentioned, Tyler Smith, Tulsa, Chris Paul, Tulsa, not necessarily the big time schools, but they're probably going to find a way to get on on the field. Luke Godeke from Central Michigan, Bernard Raymond, who's a you know I don't see a first rounder, but he might be a first rounder. Central Michigan. You mentioned Cole Strange out of Tennessee, Chattanooga, probably going to be a third or fourth round pick. 
but he played pretty damn well down at the Senior Bowl. So, again, I, I think some of these guys really showcased at Senior Bowl, Shrine Week, things like that, that makes them so much more intriguing. And teams view it as, I can maybe get that sexy pick in the first and second round, and in that third and fourth round, fifth round, I can get the value, the guy that's going to carve six to eight years for me, that interior offensive lineman, that I can get two contracts out of, and I can be fine. So it's funny you mentioned Cole Strange because that's where this all starts for the Buffalo Bills for me. That's where the that's where that's the jumping off point if I'm looking at this through a Buffalo Bills lens. I'm gonna crack a fresh one for this. So yep. I'm gonna pour one out here for everybody who uh last week, maybe a week and a half ago, lost their fucking minds when they saw that the Bills were signed the often maligned offensive tackle Bobby Hart. Everyone had an opinion about it. It's widely decried as stupidity, but it makes a lot of sense if you've been paying attention. In 2019, ahead of free agency, the Buffalo News wrote a piece about the end of the Bills' 2018 season. It was Josh Allen's first season. They opened going 3-7. and seven. They were terrible. Their offensive line in 2018, was they paid $12 million for the whole fucking thing. Taylor Lewan made more than that whole team's offensive line starters by himself. But they finished three and three, and two of those losses came with by less than a touchdown. And the final win was just an absolute demolition of the Dolphins. That was what got Adam Gase fired. Like that was the final nail in the coffin for Adam Gase. And they mm-hmm. asked Bean, "Hey, you're seeing some life in this team. It looks like Josh Allen's starting to get this quarterback thing. How do you plan to build around him?" And he kind of talked about all the cap space he was going to have, but he was quoted, and I remember this, it's burned into my brain, that he made a comment about preferring his offensive lineman to have NFL-proven experience. I need my offensive lineman to be proven in the NFL. And we talked about it at the top of the show a little bit. He's backed that up. He's signed a ton of free agent offensive linemen. He's traded for other teams' draft picks. Meanwhile, he's only spun out his own draft capital on a handful of them and up until this last year he'd only drafted two and they were basically like the cody ford pick which didn't work out and one pick on wyatt teller i'd like to have that one back you'd like to have that guy back <laughs> if, if you could if you could get that trade back you probably would but so you think about this roster dynamic in this bobby hart thing beans lack of picks he looks at a body and says look i I triple dipped at offensive tackle last year because they were all athletic freaks. And then I let one of them walk because I didn't think he was good enough. Ford was the only guy he's drafted with a RAS score under an 8.8, which kind of tells you he prefers if I'm going to, if I'm going to spend draft capital on an offensive lineman, I got burned once. And that was because I spent it on a guy who wasn't an athlete. And my offensive Mm -hmm. line this past season got into zone blocking down the stretch and was the most effective it's been all season when we had the most athletic group we could put out there. So if we're talking about the Bills' approach to the 2022 draft in the offensive line, the first thing I'm looking at is day two, day three prospects that look like athletic specimens. And the first one that jumps out to me is Cole Strange. But there's a whole mm-hmm. list of these guys. Zion Johnson, uh, Eki Iquanu, which we talked about at the top of the show, Cole Strange, Chris Paul. There's a list of these guys who are just athletic studs. And then you look at the center group, and you've got uh, Dawson Deaton, Cam Jurgens. <sighs> Considering that the Bills don't have a giant need right now in the immediate in the immediacy for an interior offensive lineman, but a developmental one might be there. Like they're going to need that come next year when they only have two interior offensive linemen under contract. Third, fourth round. What do you think about the makeup of that interior offensive line class and the athletes that they have there if Buffalo chose to go that route? I like quite a few of these guys. You mentioned Cole Strange. I'll talk briefly about him. I didn't give a full evaluation on him because, I mean, let's be honest, Tennessee Chattanooga tape yeah. is like is like digging in a in a <laughs> graveyard somewhere. It's, yeah. it's hard to find. Um, but he, he was somebody that held his own at the Senior Bowl, very stout. Somebody that I thought in one-on-one situations was constantly resetting his hands, putting his hands on the chest plate, playing square. There was times, sure, play strength got tested. 
but you draft him in the third or fourth round, you develop him, and like you mentioned, you don't necessarily need him year one. You more so need him in year two, three, and moving forward. So he makes a lot of sense, especially if Mitch Morse isn't the guy moving forward. Not saying he isn't the guy, but you know if he moves on somewhere else or another injury-prone year or something like that, odds are they're going to cut that guy loose because you can't keep bringing him back at, at a high price or even a reasonable price when there's other options out there. Another guy you mentioned, somebody that I recently watched uh, over this last couple days was was kind of the first guy on my list because there's some people out there that truly believe he's a second-round pick, and I don't see it, um, and that's Cam Jurgens out of Nebraska. He tested incredibly well at the at the Combine, Moves really well in space. You mentioned zone blocking down the stretch, reach blocking, doing that type of stuff. It was when the the line looked the best for the Bills, and I agree. Cam Jurgens would be a home run if you got him at 89. I think that's a great landing spot for him. I think in that third, fourth round range is, is, a, is a home run pick for him. I would take him at 89 so that at 101, the Miami Dolphins don't select him. I think if he lands in my, if he lands in Miami and that zone scheme that's coming there and that reach blocking and everything there, he's a home run. He moves really well in space. He's quick. He's athletic. He can pull. He can climb. He can do everything that you're looking for an interior offensive lineman to do as far as a center and he's experienced. But my concern with him is every single time upon contact, he puts his head down or after contact, he's putting his head down and it's forcing him to not really have so much forward lean, but to completely misstep or miss his his timing with his punches. And there's times where he's reach blocking a three technique and he's getting swam over. And that worries me quite a bit when you're playing against, you know, you watch him against Wisconsin in 2021. I didn't think it was very good tape. So people are saying, oh, well, you know, he's a top 50 player. Well, I'm one, first and foremost, I'm curious what all 22 tape you're watching of Nebraska because I have like two games and I get just about everything. But also beyond that, the the Wisconsin game where there's legitimate D1 athletes, players that are going to play on Sundays, Matt Henningsen out of Wisconsin, he's going to play on Sundays. He struggled against this team. He struggled against Leo Chanel, uh, a Jack Sanborn, legit defenders. He struggled. And I'm worried that you you might struggle there. But with that, again, you're taking him in the third round. You don't need him right away. I would take him so somebody else doesn't take him because I think he can be very good with NFL coaching. And I think the right fit would be a team like Miami and Buffalo. Now, aside from the centers, aside from guys, because you know, outside of, I would say, Tyler Linderbaum, Zion Johnson, and I like Zion Johnson at guard, but he could play center. He showed it. And then obviously Strange and Jurgens. Outside of that, center can kind of get a little shaky. Dylan Parham is an interesting one, former tight end, converted to an interior offensive lineman, still relatively new to the position. I like him at guard just because I think you you get him polling, you get him out in space, things like that. He can attack and he can be relatively clean. I think he as a guy who played refi- as a play as a guy who played guard. Listen, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. You don't need to be that bright to play guard. Like you got to be smart offensive lineman, but to be a center, you have to have your shit together. You're, you, yeah. Most centers are some of the smartest guys on the field. There's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be. You don't have to have a firm handle on the position in order to do the job well. If you're playing guard, when you're when you're hyper athletic and your coaching staff can use you effectively. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think. And, and I think that's why if, if at 89, one of those guys like Strange and Jurgens are there, I, I think you, you consider one of them because, one, I think they're relatively smart guys just from kind of what you know their, their academic background shows from everything yep. that I've researched on them over the last couple of weeks. But also, you know, just if you can get that guy in there, some, again, NFL coaching, it goes a long way. But if those guys are gone because, you know, the, the position that they play centers a little bit different than guard and maybe teams in the top 75 value all three of those centers from Linderbaum, Strange and Jurgens, maybe you have to settle for a potential guard. And I think the three that fall in, in my board in the, you know, basically from the, the pick 80 on the board to pick 100 is Ed Ingram from LSU, who I got a third round grade on. Really like his skill set. Then there's Lasita Smith from Virginia Tech, um, who ended up with a fourth round grade. But I, I again, I really like him. He's a great dude too. Um, and then Cade Mays out of Tennessee, who's also that 
right tackle, probably going to convert to guard. So starting with, uh, we'll start with Cade May since it's it's that fourth round option. But yeah, um, you know, six five, three eleven, really aggressive. He's somebody that I think teams are going to fall in love with when you see that aggressiveness. He's always looking to finish his blocks. I think I, th- I thought he climbed relatively well uh, to the second level. He's got heavy hands, and when you just watch him, you see. I, I think when you see his footwork, you instantly think that's a guard. But then you see him play tackle and you're like, okay, this isn't that bad. But the issue with him is, you know, his punches are late in pass protection, a little bit slower off on the on the outside. So that's what struggles, you know, with me. And then I, I just I think if uh, if he can show that his weight transfer from his post foot to his set foot is relatively clean at offensive tackle, he might get a, a true shot there. But he loves contact. He loves burying guys. He also loves to hunt. And he is somebody that I think is is somebody that is just he, he kind of screams Buffalo Bills like when you when you think back to like kind of Wyatt Teller and, and I know it's kind of a soft subject but he kind of <laughs> like reminds me of Wyatt Teller maybe just n- not as athletic but Mays was a five star recruit he actually um, had offers to Alabama Ole Miss stuff like that he actually committed to Georgia played there flipped to Tennessee so it's not like he's just some small school guy he's relatively touted. He's well known and he played well uh, for Tennessee. So I think if you were to get him at, you know, anywhere between 89, 130, maybe you move up and get him, he would make sense. Um, can I go into detail on Ingram or Lasita Smith? Well, here's what I actually want to ask you before we let you go. So there's a whopping, th- I've got two questions. One, there's a 13 Garden Center prospects with RAS scores over eight. So that seems to be right in our GM's wheelhouse. These guys that you're describing, mm-hmm. They're all in your draft guide, right? Or at least some of them. Mm-hmm. Or, okay. So, yep. guys, go check out the draft guide. I'm telling you, it's it's a great resource, especially if you don't want to commit. Because if you're guys like us who, I'm not going to commit to reading a draft guide that reads like my math textbook. I'm not going to do it. I just won't. His is great because it doesn't give you that. It just gives you information on the players that you want to know about before draft night. So you're not texting me. Yeah, that's right, Brian. Stop fucking texting me during the draft. He's, oh, well, what do you know about this guy? I'm not giving you a syllabus on the. Go fucking find it. Russ Brown has one. Go find it. But there's a lot of athletes that seem to fall into this range of, hey, they're going to be late-round picks, mid-round picks. If the Bills wanted athletic guys that they could groom, this would be a draft class that could support that for next year, that wouldn't have to contribute mm-hmm. right away, correct? Okay. And then I'd be remiss if we didn't celebrate the first annual Greg Little Award, which is brought about by one of the funniest pieces of audio we've ever heard on this show when I asked you about said offensive tackle. The answer to your question is because he's not very fucking good. That's the question. Like, that's the answer to your question. He, he's, not, he's not good. It, like, like I said, the very first thing that you look for in an offensive lineman is hand placement. His hand placement is consistently outside every single time, and he instantly has to go to, like, reset, recover, and, you know, he, he does not look like he's very strong, does not look like he can can do a lot of things, whether it's reach blocking or down blocking, very little control more times than not, and he has very little grip strength, which is key to me. Like, Jawan Taylor has some of the best, the best grip strength in the class, um, and then just when your hand placement is inconsistent and you have mediocre grip strength, I don't see how you can always instantly have to go to recovery mode and then you can't really recover because you don't have the hand strength to do it. That's Russ Brown from three years ago on this very podcast. So I've now every year we're going to have a Greg Little Award winner because the guy who's just not that fucking good, no matter how good people think he is, he was drafted ahead of Cody Ford. Yeah, one pick. One pick ahead. Who is your 2022 Greg Little Award winner? I'm going to I'm going to just throw out two because I don't I I feel like I dog the one guy all the time. <laughs> um and and I will say somebody that could be similar to the the Greg Little as far as hand placement is far too wide on every rep. For starters, that's Tyler Smith. 
Very strong, very physical player, great length. I like him inside at guard, but I know there's teams out there that think he can play tackle. There's been some rumors and rumblings that he could be a top 25 pick. Um, and I, I think there's a, I think there's a chance that it could happen just simply because if there is four offensive tackles selected in the top 15 of, um, you know, Aquanu, Neal, Cross, and Penning, there is a chance a team reaches on a Tyler Smith because they, he won't be available on that second turn. Um, so with that, I mean, he could go a little bit higher uh, than some people project on Twitter and things like that. So that's similar to maybe a Greg Little who had that first round buzz, ultimately fell into that 30 range. But the, the, the two that kind of stand out to me, uh, for starters, is Bernard Raymond out of Central Michigan. Very good athlete for the position. He transitioned from tight end to left tackle in 2020, moves really well in space, you see the athleticism, and he actually carries himself pretty well. I thought he interviewed well down at the Senior Bowl. Uh, very interesting story. Uh, didn't start playing football till he was 14. He, you know, he was an exchange student from Austria. Went uh, to Delton Kellogg High School up in Delton, Michigan. Very limited offers throughout the recruiting process. Um, he, var- you know, had varsity letters in wrestling, track and field, football. Had a 3.8 GPA. Smart kid. But after high school in Michigan, he moved back to Austria. Finished high school there, did a six month mandatory service for the military. But then wow. when you just watch him, yeah, when you when you watch him play, his play strength is constantly getting you know uh, tested from more powerful defenders. He has this forward lean, which really worries me because you're just a little bit off balanced. His punch, his feet are relatively consistent inside, but there's times that they're outside on the on the back of the on the, of the defenders, but also. It, it just, I don't know. He's getting a lot of first-round buzz. I don't see it. I don't like him as much as I like his teammate, Luke Godeke, from Central Michigan. So I think somebody might overpay on Bernard Raymond. And if they do, then I, I think you might you might get tested. You might get burnt if it's too soon. He reminds me of Jason Spriggs when he came out of Indiana, went to the Packers, wasn't a great player, um, and, and he got burnt. But then the, the last one, Nicholas Petit-Friere out of Ohio State, very experienced player, has starts at left and right tackle, great length for the position, really good grip strength when his hands land on the chest plate. But I have questions around his overall anchor. I think he gets knocked back far too easily. When you watch him against like Aiden Hutchinson, he gets tested time and time again. There's a lot of balance concerns with him. And I think when you watch Greg Little, it's not even so much about wide hands. It's about overall footwork. And Petit Friere was somebody that was getting top 50 buzz early in the year. Now he's probably more of that third, fourth round guy. Summer of 2019, he had an externship at WWE headquarters in Orlando. It's interesting because I think it's somebody as desired of the grip strength and the length. He might want to start considering a WWE path if, <laughs> if football doesn't pan out, right? So... Um, I, I, I think he's going to get tested. I, I just, I don't see it with him. I know a lot of people that thought he was a top 50, top 75 pick. He checked in at 84 for me, my ninth ranked offensive tackle. So I would say those are kind of the three guys that fall into the Greg Little thing because they kind of have a combination of some things that Greg Little didn't have and then some of the things that Greg Little did have. Awesome. Where can people find your work coming up? Where can they watch your draft night stream and anything else you feel like plugging before we get out of here? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, the second night of the draft on Friday, I will be on the cover one YouTube stream, which you can simply find on YouTube, search cover one, subscribe to the, to the brand and, and to everything that we got going there. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Russ NFL draft, and you can find my draft guide pinned up at the top there. Again, it's for free. Uh, you smash that follow button, reach out to me, ask me Bill's stuff, ask me whatever you want. Um, aside from that, the live draft show with Woodward Sports will be Thursday night, uh, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at the Brass Rail in Detroit. If you're in the area, come on through, um, reach out, say hello, I'll buy you a beer, buy you a shot, whatever you want, um, and just listen to us, have some fun, and um other than that, it's always fun, guys. I'm glad we get to do this every year. I can't believe that clip was three years ago. That feels like yesterday. Russ Brown, you can go follow him on Twitter at Russ NFL Draft Cover One National Scout. He's got the NFL, Cover One NFL Draft podcast downloaded. It's been a part of my work playlists for the last couple of months to listen to stuff to get ready for the draft. Well, and as we talked about, if you're looking to get ready for the NFL draft, 
Ross put out his own draft guide. It's free, too. It's free. It's a free draft guide written by somebody who... go. Chris, you look at his AVI on Twitter. Yeah. He's wearing Senior Bowl credentials. He's a guy who travels. He scouts. He's well-known in these circles. And at the same time, he decided, hey, I'm going to try my hand at this thing. I might as well just give it... I might as well just give it to people and see what they think about it so I can hone my craft into something that's a viable product. First of all, that's a great approach. Second of all, I like it. It's short, it's sweet, but if you're talking about guys like us, like you look at some of these, Chris, some of these draft guides, you might as well be trying to teach me what? Physics. Algebra for the second time? Yeah. It didn't take the first time. It's not going to work now. All right? So I like the way his draft guide is set up. It's short. It's sweet. It's to the point. Guys, go check it out. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That's Russ Brown. And this has been your Rock Pile Report. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.